If you watch movies, television, entertainment, uh, read the newspaper, whatever, there's, everybody's out for the shock factor. You know, something to amaze us, something to capture our attention, something to amaze their audience, whether it be a, a shocking storyline, you know, another sighting of Bigfoot or something, you know, uh, another UFO, whatever it may be, to try to capture our attention, to try to get us to buy the paper or to go to the movie, whether it be uh, some kind of a shocking storyline or shocking, um, what's the word, special effects, different things of that nature. And it's the, the nature of our culture to try to shock us into participating in what they want us to participate in. If you're a teenager and the CD says explicit lyrics, parental advisory, you know, that's the one they're going to buy because it's shocking, you know. Everything is, is intended to entertain and amuse us. And the point I want to make to you this morning, I want to talk to you about properly placed amazement. If you want to turn to Mark chapter, what Mark chapter what? Mark chapter 2. We'll be talking about that in a minute. But this is typical of the world. The world wants to constantly amaze us. The world wants to draw us into whatever they want us to enjoy. Telling us what we need to have, what we need to be a part of. And they use the shock factor and amazement to do that. You know, we go to the circus. Why? Because we want to see somebody do something daring and dangerous. Or maybe you just want to ride an elephant, which is dangerous and daring. I don't know. (laughs) Elephants scare me. They're big. If you have <laughs> anything that can step on me, I, somebody say, you want to ride that? Well, no, I don't want to ride that. But yet we take our kids and we put them on the elephant. Anyway, that's not even in my notes. It's not even in my notes. The world will do whatever it takes to draw us and, uh, you know, get us and draw a big crowd. I, here a while back in December, we took, um, I had, well, actually two years ago when Chad Varga was here, we gave away some Pacer tickets at that outreach and the lady that helped set me up with that from the Pacers had been bugging me since trying to get my kids to come to a Pacers game. Well, they had a thing set up to where it was like 15 bucks a person. You come, and then after the, the, the game, there was uh, going to be a concert with Phil Stacy afterward, who's a Christian artist that came through American Idol. And we thought, you know, why not? It'll be fun. We'll go do it. So we, we went, and if you know anything about the Pacers, there's not a whole lot of amazement involved with the Pacers. Before you go to a Pacers game, you always ask, who are they playing? Because you might see somebody good. And um, that's what my first question was with Jackie. She said, you want to come see the Pacers? I said, well, who are they playing? And then she said, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I go, oh, LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal. She said, yeah. So we talked to the kids about it. We took the kids. Well, we get there, and I had the kids all excited. I said, I'm going to fight Shaquille O'Neal. I'm going to coax him into a fight because he's seven foot. I'm five, ten and a half. And I think I can take him. <laughs> kind of the Chihuahua syndrome or something. I don't know. But we were all excited about this game. And we get there and our seats were like the second row from the top. And we look down and Shaquille, who's seven foot tall, looks about like this. <laughs> I think I can take him, you know. <laughs> LeBron James, you know, he's playing. And I think he stole the ball and got one big dunk that, you know, the crowd cheered for. And and you know, that was kind of sad. We, we made the best of it. Then after the game, we thought, well, we get to get down close for the concert. And we had to leave the place and then come back in. And I thought, well, maybe they're moving like a portable stage in or something. It wasn't like that. It was kind of, it, it was good. Don't get me wrong. And he's very talented. Phil Stacy has had some really good songs and really enjoyed it. But it just wasn't what we expected. You ever been there before? So we enjoyed that and it was good. But out of everything, and I think the kids that went with us, 
Out of everything that night, the one thing that amazed us was the one thing we didn't go expecting to see. And that was this little, this little Asian lady on a unicycle that was about nine foot tall. Now, if you don't know what a unicycle is, it's just one wheel. And she's on top of it, and she's balancing herself, and she's doing this and going around the court, and everybody's just kind of clapping, you know, whatever. And then this guy comes out with this stack of bowls, and he puts a bowl on her foot, and she balances herself with one foot, and she's keeping herself balanced, and then she flips the bowl up and catches it on her head. And we go, oh, that's good, you know. Well, then she kept doing two, and then she'd do three, and then she did four, and we was like, well, there's no way. She's going to drop one. She got, like, clear up to eight or nine bowls on her legs, stacked, not inside of each other, but just leaning against each other on her leg, and she'd flip them up and catch them stacked on her head. And the whole time she kept the other bowls on top of her head. I was impressed. The place stood up and yelled and screamed for this little, this little lady on the unicycle, probably more than we did for the entire game or the concert. <laughs> and we left, and I come back, and, I, and everybody's like, hey, did we have fun at the game? They're like, yeah, yeah. I said, what about the little Asian lady on the truck? Yeah! They all got really excited. <laughs> So it's real easy to go and expect one thing and receive something else. But we have this problem in an American culture, and it slipped into our churches a little bit. We kind of have that mentality. We, wanna, we want to draw people in and then amaze them with Jesus. You know what I mean? We want something to draw them in here so that we can maybe amaze them with Jesus, which isn't a totally bad idea. But I want to challenge us this morning that we would have properly placed amazement or affection toward God. If you turn with me, if you're there, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father God, we come to you this morning asking you, God, to direct our hearts to a properly placed amazement in you, a proper affection in you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through my mouth and that our hearts would receive you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, a year or so ago, I, I, I filled in and, and I spoke on this same passage of Scripture, and I talked about the, the hard truth about revival, and we looked at several different things in here, that the house was full, the word was preached, Jesus was in the house, there was desperation, all these other things that took place. But today I just kind of want to, take a look at it and, and a, a slant at it. It's a little different. And I want to focus on the, the part of verse 12 that says, we have never seen anything like this. They were amazed and they said, we have never seen anything like this. They were amazed, they gave God praise and said, we have never seen anything like this. And what is it that they had never seen that amazed them and caused them to praise God? Because in America, we'll do whatever we can 
to try to try to amaze people that they might praise God? Was it the great passion of others that excited them? Obviously, you know, I'm sure they had never seen anyone go through the great lengths that these gentlemen did to get their friend healed. You know, it was a pretty amazing feat. They come to the crowd dragging their buddy on a, on a mat, you know, trying to get into the house and, and people wouldn't let him through and they couldn't get through. And so they crawled up on the roof and they, they dig a hole through the roof and lowered him in. Well, since I was a child, I remember being in Sunday school class and the little thing stuck on there and it shows the little thing coming down, you know, and it's all really neat and straight and I'm sure it wasn't like that. I also kind of envisioned that these roofs were made up of like hut-like material that had leaves and palms and stuff on top of it, but that's not how they were. These houses, they couldn't go through the walls because the walls were about two feet thick. The traditional house that was in Israel at that time, on average, was about two foot thick walls. They weren't going through the walls. That's not going to happen. So they said, well, how can we get in? They said, we'll go through the roof. Now, I used to imagine them just pulling the leaves off and throwing the stuff out of the way, the sticks, and lowering them through. But again, that's not how the construction was in the day. The construction was that they laid sticks across some beams, and then they put together with tar some plaster, a mud-like plaster stuff, and then they would put on top of it like a chalk almost like a lime, and they would take it and they would roll it. And they would make it hard to where it was like concrete, and it was about three inches thick. That changes the story a little bit, you know? We can't go through the two-foot wall. Let's go through the three-foot slab of concrete. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done it before. I've busted concrete with a sledgehammer before. It's not a fun thing to do, but it is doable. And it changed the story of the fact that these guys had to go through three inches thick of a concrete-like substance to lower their friend down to Jesus. And there's no doubt that this is a, a moment of desperation. But this is not what amazed the people. We in America, we get excited when there's desperation. We get excited when people run the aisles or they wave banners and flags and they jump and spit and shout and whatever. We get excited when there's amazing worship and there's lights and flashing and smoke and people are are moved and doing whatever. When there's moments of great desperation, we go, that's a move of God. It happens. But I got to tell you, that's not what amazed people. They didn't show up that day to the house saying, you know, I'm going to block off the door so we can keep the handicapped person out and see if they can get in. You know, that's not what nobody, nobody did that. Nobody said, wait, let's just wait and see what they can do. Watching to see if they could get through the roof or not. Their mind and their attitude was not focused on what this person was doing or could do. I'm sure they were aware of it, but they, they themselves were attracted to Christ. You say, why is, why is this important? Why are you saying this? Because in America, we like to fabricate passion. We like to fabricate passionate worship. We like to fabricate great services. We like to produce things that will draw people in. Church, family, friends, listen to me. We can produce the greatest. We can tear out this sanctuary. We can redo it. We can put lights up here. You can bring in the greatest worship leader, the bands, whatever we want to do to try to get people in here. That doesn't necessarily make clear that it's a move of God. You know, I always told, I told the kids over there in youth group, if I, if I offered drugs and alcohol and, and R-rated movies and, and rock bands every Wednesday, we could grow a youth group too. But that doesn't make it a ministry. You know what I'm saying? We can do that, but the thing is, is we can create this passion, but the Word of God makes very clear that it's possible to have a sign as though you're alive and to be dead. Revelation 3.1 says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have, found, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, that you have re- what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. It is very possible, church, it is very possible that people can show up to church for the show and completely miss the Savior. It's time, you know, it's very possible that we can show up for the production and miss the producer. Amen? While we must worship, you know, again, passion is a very good thing. We should worship God passionately. We should serve God passionately. If you're going to do anything in life, do it with a passion, okay? Do it with a fervency. Do it with a desire to be the best that you can. When we come in the doors here at this church, we should come in here prepared, ready to worship. We should come in here ready to receive the word. We should be passionate to serve God outside the walls of this church. But we can't depend upon that to declare it a move of God. Why? Because passions can be misplaced. Passions can be misdirected. Our passions can be focused on things rather than on Christ. Secondly, were they amazed by the fact that the house was full? I'm sure they'd seen large crowds before. I, you know, John the Baptist was preaching out in the desert. He was just he wore camel skin and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, well, I, I like honey, but dipped in locusts, I don't care for it. Or locusts dipped in honey, I probably won't eat that. But you know, he didn't preach a popular message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And yet the multitudes, the multitudes went out there, listened to him, and repented and baptized. The multitudes, they had seen multitudes be drawn away by different teachers. And there's times in the scripture where it's even mentioned that there's been different ones that people had followed and different things. They had seen crowds before, but yet in America today, if it's not a big crowd, then there must not be a move of God. You know, I had a friend, you know... I had a friend tell me one time, well, I don't have very many kids in my youth group. I said, well, good for you. You can really pour yourself out into those six kids. What an amazing opportunity. Well, I never really thought about it before. Why? Because the mentality is, is unless there's hundreds of kids showing up or hundreds of people or thousands, then it's not a move of God, that God's not moving. That is so false. And yet we look at churches and say, well, that church, Pastor Bob, I'll listen to that person because he's on television, because he's got a church of 20,000, or because he's doing this or that or whatever. My friends, just because there's big crowds there doesn't mean it's a move of God. The Rolling Stones can pack out a stadium. True? Garth Brooks can pack out a stadium. Metallica can pack out a stadium. Rap groups, rap singers can do it too. I don't know why, but they do it. I don't know. Sorry, Stephen. They do it sometimes. I love Stephen. Hey, Stephen's interning with me this summer, by the way, and, and it was good to have him up here on the violin this morning. Um, so he'll be tortured for the next two months. Large crowds don't... Shut up, Steve-o. Large crowds don't necessarily tell us that everything's Right. I'll just throw a name out for you and you tell me what you think. Jim Jones. Early in his ministry, a lot of people following him, a lot of people getting excited about him, and then all of a sudden he ends up at a compound in a complex there with people, hundreds, thousands, I don't remember how many were there, and they all died because they were following him. Hundreds of other false teachers that could be named that people would get excited and rally around and follow rather than following Christ. Big crowds don't necessarily dictate that it is a move of God. 
You show me a church that's Christ-centered, a church that's going to preach the, the uh, un- unmoving, unwavering truth of the gospel, and there's still hundreds of thousands coming out, then I'm going to say, hey, that guy, there probably is a move of God there, and they're responding. If lives are being changed, if people are being saved, if their bondages are being broke free, and things are taking place, but don't tell me that just because a church is a big church that it's a moving church, that it's a spiritual church, that God is moving in that church. I'm not here to bash mega churches. I went to a mega church last summer that I told my wife I could attend this church. Because it was, a, it was out in Colorado Springs and, and the Spirit of God was there. It was moving through the worship. The pastor got up, was probably just one of the most humble people you would ever want to hear speak to a church that had multiple services full of thousands of people. Thirdly, were they amazed by the preaching abilities of Jesus? Again, Apart from John the Baptist, I'm sure that they hadn't seen anyone teach like Jesus did. Places in Scripture where it talks about how they had never heard anybody speak with that authority before. Jesus definitely was a good preacher. Amen. I'm not going to knock Jesus' preaching ability because I guarantee he's better than what I am. You say, why is that important to point out? And again, before I say this, I just want you to know that I wrote this message several weeks ago. Okay? This was not when I found out Pastor Mark had resigned. This is a message that was put in my heart several weeks ago and I shared with my youth a few weeks ago. But they weren't amazed by the preaching abilities of Jesus. Again, I don't want to minimize the preaching of the Word. The preaching of the Word is very important. Romans 10.14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Romans 10.17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. You can't sit, leave here today and say, Pastor Bob doesn't think the preaching of the Word is important because you know me better than that. I think it is important, but I think that we can also have a misplaced affection for preachers rather than the Word of God. Nobody stood around after Jesus spoke and discussed his discourse from a homiletical and exegetical standpoint. You know, I love how he flowed from point to point and the humor was placed in just the right places and and everybody enjoyed it and laughed and it was so wonderful I left feeling so blessed. That was not the comment of people. No educated individual sat outside and discussed his use of English and grammar in which it was used in a perfect way. In your Christian walk, please don't allow yourself to be misled by a gifted communicator. Smooth talk well-prepared speeches and things of this nature does not confirm it as a word from God. You can turn on PBS. Turn on PBS and there's a guy on there seeing occasionally when my antenna's turned that way, which it's broke right now, but I can't turn it that way. So God's probably not wanting me to see it. I don't know. This guy gets up and he does this like hour and a half long thing where it's nothing but a positive, uh, and he does this the whole time. And he's talking. And he's talking about encouraging ourselves and placing our energy toward this thing and drawing energy from that completely new age. Witchcraft, borderline witchcraft. But people are ignorant of it and they're drawn in because of the philosophies of man that are taught. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people in this stadium just weighing on this guy's every word of nonsense. Man is not good in ourselves, amen? We are inherently evil. You're not going to find anything good within you to make you better. You're going to have to find Christ within you to make you better. 
But just because we hear these people say these things, we've got to be cautious because you know the church in the last days is going to be a church with a misplaced affection on the teaching of man rather than the teaching of God. The people in the house, they they had it right in this case. They were amazed in the right place. Jesus was in the house. Jesus spoke the word. 2 Timothy 4 says this in verse 3, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It is not the way the message is spoken. It's the content. A man could get up here and he could have a whole letter that he would just like to stand up here and read to you. But if he was going to read it to you and it was full of the word of God and it was spoken by God to him, if he can't communicate it appropriately, it can still be powerfully used by God to hear if we would give ourselves the attention to listen to it. But the problem is that most of us wouldn't listen to it because we have a misplaced amazement. We want to be entertained. Amen. That would be a good place for one of those. Let's, let's just back up. Our problem is, is we want to be entertained. That's better. <laughs> There's a lot of gifted speakers out there. And preachers are a dime a dozen. I know, I was at district council this last week. There's a bunch of us. A bunch of preachers. And everybody's got a word from the Lord. So how do you discern what's right and what's wrong? Who does and who doesn't? How do we know? Well, I can tell you this, we won't know if we look for the flashy one. Do you know Pastor Ron, when he came here, not that flashy's bad, Pastor Ron came here and he was talking to me one day. He said, you know, he said, there was a church I tried out in before I came here. And he said, I got up, I, I was a candidate, I spoke to him and everything, everything went great. And he said, you know, the board pulled me aside afterward and he said, Pastor, we really enjoyed your message, we really enjoyed everything, but you know, you just weren't flashy enough for our church. Misplaced affection. Misplaced amazement. Looking for the communication rather than the content. These people were not doing it. There's a lot of gurus out there, church, and some of them call themselves Christians. Uh, The more I'm in ministry, the more I travel around, the more I see it, the more I see psychological preaching. The more I hear psychology more than I do hear Christ. The more I hear self-help than I do hearing that you're lost and you need a Savior. A lot of encouragement rather than recognition of sin. A lot of encouragement rather than repentance. We've got to be broken before God. And we can't be broken if we have somebody coming here and teaching us what we want. You know? There's a few more things that could be pointed out in this passage. I could have went on for an hour and a half, but I'm not going to do that. What were they amazed at? If they weren't amazed by the teaching, if they weren't amazed by the crowd, if they weren't amazed by the passion, what were they amazed at? They were amazed by the power of God. Everything that I discussed with you this morning, everything that I mentioned, everything that I said today, everything in court, you can draw big crowds without the power of God. You can do your programs and your preaching. You can have church completely without the power of God. Happens every Sunday, going on right now, not necessarily here, hopefully somewhere else. (laughs) Happens all the time. We can draw big crowds. We can have great passionate worship without the power of God. It's very possible. It happens. When we have a misplaced affection or a misplaced amazement and we come to church desiring other things than Christ, we come to the church disappointed or leaving excited but sicker than what we realize. 
So there's two things of the power of God that these individuals saw. I want to focus on lastly, and then I'll be quiet. Verse 5, we see where the power of God was there to forgive sins. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It needs to be our desire of a church, as a church, as individuals, to associate ourselves to a body of believers, a ministry that will see souls saved, people's lives touched. This individual laid there, he was sick, he was hurting. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And what was the response of the church people, the high and mighties? Who are you to forgive sins? You can't forgive sins. Nobody can forgive sins but God. Isn't that how we are, though? Isn't isn't that how we can be, us cynical believers, who will come up here, walk up here, and we'll see somebody come up here and give their life to Christ, and we're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I got lunch here in a few minutes. Church, what has happened to us? What has happened to us that somebody can give their heart to Jesus Christ here at these altars and all of a sudden, you know, we have our mind turned on lunch or a gathering or a baseball game or a NASCAR race or football or whatever it may be when there's something eternal taking place right here with inside that person's heart that they'll never be the same again and we as supposed believers, righteous in who we are, walk out the door and never mention a word to anybody. Who are we? To lose our excitement and passion to say that we are forgiven and have no joy when somebody else does it. Amen. What is up with us? Why? How can we? Why? Because we've got a misplaced amazement for church and not for Christ. Amen. What has happened? What has happened to the church when, when we do see somebody give their life to Christ and we go away and we think nothing of it and we, we go about our day and our life and we never call them, we never write them, we never talk to them on the way out, we never give them any encouragement about the decision they made and how life is, God is working inside of them. Nothing. There's no excitement in the power of God to save people anymore. It's not enough. What's happened? Oh, well, we've got to have worship a certain way. We've got to have preaching a certain way. We've got to have the certain programs for our kids. And all this stuff for all these different age groups and ministries, busyness, busy, 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 busy. And we leave alone the person that just had an eternal change in their life. They were plucked out of the pit of hell, brought into eternity with Christ. They've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we don't have any excitement in that? Oh, woe to us, oh God. If we don't understand what it means to have a soul come into the kingdom of God. If we don't understand what it means, that seal, speaking of the time in King's days, they wore a signet ring on their hand. They would put the wax on a letter or whatever, their seal would go on it. And they would put their sign in that. And that sign showed nobody is to touch this except the king. And if they do, they got the king to deal with. It's not good. Christ has sealed this individual sealed us we're really proud of our seal you know i'm saved by grace but yet we're real thrilled the fact that our lives have to go through the king before anybody else touches it and then we can't be joyful and rejoice over somebody else that's got that same opportunity it's misplaced affection my friends we've become excited about the things of church and the desires in the future we need to build we need to do this we need to grow we need to do that all those things are good and wonderful as long as it's in the right context and God's not going to entrust us with more souls if we don't take the responsibility with the ones we have why should he? Why should he throw a bunch of believers into a church full of pious people that are unwilling to recognize the Spirit of God moving in somebody's life and be joyful about it? Is it because we're, we have a, an appearance of life and be dead on the inside? Is that why? I hope not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you. I'm not being judgmental. And I'm not saying this in light of anything that anybody's done in the church. 
But this is the word of the Lord today, my friends. This is the word to me. This is the word to us as individuals and as a church and as a pastor, as anything, to recognize and to have the heart of Christ, the very one that Jesus died on the cross for. Woe to us if we miss it because of our eyes on other things. Secondly, they were amazed by the power of God to heal lives. Verse 11 and 12 said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The desire of, our, of us as a people should be to associate with a ministry where lives are changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The bad thing is, is that we Christians, we, it's real easy to remember Jesus can change us internally, you know, spiritually, you know. But we forget that he wants to affect us externally as well. That he is interested in our bodies. He is interested in our health. He is interested in our lives, our jobs, our homes, our families. Everything, every aspect of our life he wants to be a part of. And it's real easy for us to place him in that category. And then again, to be cynical and to judge people and say, well, they'll never change. They'll, they'll never change. I've, I've used this example before. Alvin DeAnda. Sit up here in our pew after losing many, many jobs to alcoholism. A um, lot of different things, just a mess from what all he had been through with his addiction. Pastor Ron was here, gave an altar call. Alvin comes up and he gives his life to Christ right here, like this. And me, me, Mr. Pious, self-righteous church member that I am, you know what went through my head? Boy, I don't know if that's going to work. He's tried everything else. Boy, I don't know. Yeah, that was me. That was inside of me. And don't look at me all pious. You've all done it before. We've all been there. But you know, how stupid was I? How silly was I? He walks off the stage and not one drop of alcohol on his lips since. Not one. Not one. Yes, there's other areas of his life he dealt with and worked through and many other things that he dealt with. And there's many things in my life that I've worked through and continue to work through and deal with on a daily basis. But who am I? Oh, pious Christian Pharisee Bob, to look at somebody and say they'll never change or to judge them because they've got issues or because they've done this or they've said that. And people all the time tell me, I can't come to church, Pastor Bob, because if I come to church, I don't want to sit next to somebody and worship with them when I've seen them at the bar the night before. Well, first of all, I kind of went through our audience here and I've tried to imagine who's in the bar and I can't think of anybody. But secondly, <laughs> so what if they were? I'm not, I'm not saying drink. But if it's a new believer and they've gotten saved and they've, they've, they've messed up and they've made a mistake, who are we to say you're not saved? Just because they're forgiven, they're not sanctified yet. For crying out loud, maybe they need somebody other than a pious Christian to look at them and put them down to come beside them and pick them up. I don't know what I'm saying. We need to understand that you and I are no different. If it's alcoholism or whatever it may be, there's a, lot, there's a few sins that we like to put the stamp of horrible, awful stuff on it and say, how could you possibly do that? And we ignore our gossiping. We ignore our slandering. We ignore our lying. We ignore our stealing. We ignore all the deception and all the stuff that we do in our lives. We ignore that, but yet we condemn somebody that's got a bondage. Amen. Now, why would we do that? 
It's just silly. And God can't do anything with us when we do that. We must have properly placed affection on Christ. We must have properly placed amazement when we see a life change. When was the last time that you saw somebody give their life to Christ and totally revolutionize their world and it set you in your place to go, wow, God is so good. That's what these individuals did. They saw what was done in an individual and they praised God. No, we don't. We say, ah, they probably won't make it. That was me, by the way, I said that, not you. Woe to us. <laughs> Woe to us church people if we create an atmosphere of what we want and we ignore Christ. The power of God. Church, that's what it's all about. However God wants to move or how He sees fit to move, let's, let's allow that, but let's allow it to be done by Him. We can't judge other people. We're all just worms with legs hoping to be butterflies someday. All of us. We're just worms with legs. That's it. I don't, I, this isn't one of those uplifting and encouraging messages. You're a worm with legs. <laughs> Here's the encouraging part. But you're going to be a butterfly someday. Amen? It's in me, folks. It's inside of me. When I gave my life to Christ, it was inside of me. God placed it in me and said, this is your future. This is your future. This is who you are going to be. And I look at my worm body with legs. I'm going, Lord, I don't know. Look at me. I'm a mess. And God says, I know who you're going to be. I'm the one that brings the change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You are a new creation. You're just not in the cocoon yet. It's okay. It's going to take place. Be excited about it. Be joyful about it. Know that even when these people come in the doors and they're a mess and their lives are a mess, and these teenagers walk in and out with purple hair and messed up and, and their pants hanging down and their shirt's too low and everything else that I get on them about, everything they come in here with, know that they're just a worm with leg and one of these days they're going to be a butterfly someday. Christ desires to change them. He desires to change them. But it's got to happen through the power of God. It's not going to happen through passionate worship. It's not going to happen just because somebody's a good communicator. It's not going to happen because there's a large crowd there. It's going to happen through the power of God. Amen. We need to be a church that's full of the power of God. Apart from that, it's all dung, my friends. It's dung. You stand with me this morning.